Two weeks ago, I had preached a sermon entitled The Word. During this sermon, we established that in Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God, where it says the Word of God there, was not only the written Word, but it is also Jesus Christ Himself. It's not only the pages of Scripture, the written Word, the Bible, the thing that we call the Bible, but the Word of God is also Jesus Christ Himself. And it was more one of those intellectual things where we focused on a couple of words. I kind of thought the focus was on the word logos. Everybody else told me the focus was on the word and. That's fine. So I preached on one word. But the reality of it is this. We have to understand that the logos, the word of God, is not just the pages of Scripture, but it is Jesus Christ Himself. Before we move into the word part two... We're going to look again at the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. So please go ahead and open your Bibles there. We're going to be looking at the exact same two verses. The exact same two verses we were looking at. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. You might be reading from a different translation. That's okay. But hang with me. Yours is going to be pretty close to this. It's going to mean the same thing. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Before we pray, I want to draw your attention to a couple of things out of this passage of Scripture. The Word of God discerns the intentions of your heart. That's what it says at the end of verse 12. Can I get amen? Does it say that? And at the end of verse 13, it says, you have to give an account. Does it say that? Can I get a witness? Okay. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Here's why. Because people tell me all the time, I can live this way, my heart is right. I give you the technical term <laughs> which means that wasn't very convincing you got to give an account so that's what we're going to wrestle with today let's pray father we come before you this morning we ask you to speak into hearts and lives Father, you tell us right here in these two verses that the Word of God is living and active, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will pierce and divide. It will separate spirit and flesh. Lord, you tell us that we can't hide from the Word, but that we stand naked before the Word, and you tell us that we must give an account. So we ask you today, speak to your people. Bring 
transformation. Lord, no more going through the motions. Make us a people set apart for your glory and for your honor. And God's people said, Amen. I have this question next on my notes. It says, why is the fact that the word of God is Jesus himself important to us as believers? Not, the, the word of God is not simply a bunch of words on paper. I, said, I didn't say it wasn't words on paper in the Bible. I said it's not simply that. It's not just that. Why is it important that the word of God is Jesus himself? I'd ask you to let me share a story with you. To illustrate that point. Sarah and I decided early in our marriage to have kids. This is a good thing, you know. Some of you guys waited till later, and Sarah and I were probably crazy getting started early, but we got started early, and here I am. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm 38 years old, and my kids are getting ready to graduate high school. So you had no kids when you had no money, and so you couldn't do anything anyways. Now my wife and I, we've paid off some stuff, and now we can go have fun, and I just can't. The kids are going. Sarah and I are talking about going on a cruise. It's going to be nice. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we decided to have kids early, right? And we decided this was an important thing, and I know a lot of families do that. you know. And I want you to get your kids in mind because we're going to talk about raising our kids today, right? And we had Dylan first, even though Lindsay's our oldest. Lindsay was our third because she's actually biologically my niece. But our first was Dylan, and we had Dylan, and things were going good, and we were raising him, and, and I could tell you a lot of funny stories about that. I'm sure you've got funny stories about raising your kids. But when you have one kid, you can give a lot of uh, individual attention to that one child. Amen? But when we added the second one, which was Alicia, it got exponentially harder, especially getting them to obey. Now, you guys are thinking that's a comment about Alicia. Kind of. No, it's not really. But it got exponentially harder to get them to obey. And the primary reason that it got exponentially harder is because that we were not able to give that moment-by-moment interaction with the kids, right? I mean, didn't you find that with your kids that when you had the first one, you had a lot of time, you had the second one, and you're like, oh, wow. Now, I hear like around eight, it pretty much starts taking care of itself because they get old enough, they start raising them for you. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just what I hear. We didn't go that route. We, we had enough at three. <clears throat> but there, there's a couple of reasons why that I want to talk about today why it gets harder. There's a lot of reasons why it gets harder. But there's really two that I want to focus on today that have to do with this passage of Scripture. And you're going to say, wow, this is very interesting. Hang with me. This is the deductive argument out of Scripture. It means we're going to start to, from the general and we're going to move to the very specific. And we're using this story to do it. So, we found with two kids that we had less time to devote to their individual needs. And then it got harder with the third. So we had to, like I said, we had to stop relying on this moment-by-moment interaction, and we had to do something that's been part of our life ever since. We started teaching our kids guiding principles that we expected them to remember. Now, this caused an interesting side effect. We would expect that 
Dylan, as he got older, you know, got to clean your room up and all those things. And I know he's a little kid, but we would expect that to happen. But this interesting side effect was that Dylan began to interpret the principles the way he wanted to interpret them. And we weren't there moment by moment because we might be taking care of Alicia. And so you're away and the kids get to interpret the principles how they want to. Let me give you an example of how this could happen. Kids might come to you and say, Mom, can I have a peanut butter sandwich? And you say, no. You cannot have a peanut butter sandwich. Get something else for lunch. Now you're overtaking care of the other child. You come back in the room, and they are sitting there eating peanut butter toast. And you're like, what are you doing? Well, you said get something else, so I didn't get a peanut butter sandwich. And you're like... What is that? They're like, it's peanut butter toast. (laughs) So you thought the problem was with the bread being soft, right? That was the problem. The bread was soft. I don't know. Maybe maybe we're the only ones with kids like this, you know. But I think that kind of resonates if you've got kids. Even Even if you only had one, eventually you start expecting them to remember the principles. But it's interesting. Side effect about this principle thing is they begin to interpret it how they want to. How it best fits into the worldview. Well, maybe peanut butter sandwich isn't a worldview. But you get my point. Into the view that they have. Into the, okay, so you said I couldn't play video games. Okay, that's fine. I'm watching Netflix. Look, the principle was I didn't want you on the TV. Right? I wanted you doing something else. So there's this interesting side effect, and it comes from not having that moment-by-moment, face-to-face, verbal interaction. So, while our children could remember the principles we taught them, it was easier for them to disregard the principle because it seemed less personal. It wasn't really us telling the kids what they, you know, wasn't really us, they were to obey. It was the, this nebulous thing we call the principle. That's why. Well, it's not really mom and dad. It's this principle, and I have the right to interpret this the way that I want to. It's not mom and dad I'm brushing off. It's this principle, and it's this nebulous thing. And like when you really get them to understand principles, then it gets worse for a while, because then they're like, hmm, how can I manipulate this? You know, but and and you think about it. So this is the first thing that's going on with raising our kids. Okay, when we start teaching in principles. Now, we as parents, and I want you to give me a glory wave. This is a glory wave. Like, yeah, that's me, right? If this is you. We felt like when they disobeyed the principle, they were directly disobeying us. Amen? Okay. When you don't follow the principle the way I intended it, you are disobeying me. When I said no peanut butter sandwich, and so you took the bread and toasted it, you did disobey. You following what I'm saying? When I said no computer, and you got your iPod touch and got on Facebook instead, you did disobey. Me. Directly. Teens, children, listen to me. When your parents give you a principle, they expect you to obey it and interpret it the way they intended it, 
Amen? Uh, okay, let's try this again. Kids and teens, I know you don't want to say this, but just get... The, when your parents give you a principle and they, they expect you to obey it and interpret it the way they intended it. Amen? Okay. The kids are like... Kids are like... Kids are like... I finally understand that Pink Floyd song where it says your lips move, but I can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> you know? Wow. Did I just date myself? Okay. So, kids are like, who's Pink Floyd? <laughs> so, but anyways. So, so that's the thing. We really felt like they were directly disobeying us when they did this. Now, the second thing that started happening with our kids, especially as they started getting older is that we found ourselves beginning to deliver guidance to our children through the proxy that was in front of us. This means whatever child was in the room is the one who had to relay to the other kids our decision in a matter. You ever done that with your kids? Hey, go tell your brother I said clean the room. Right? And you guys know this. That's a recipe for disaster. Right? Next thing, you got kids crying, one of them's bleeding, lips swollen up, you know, and we're like, no, we said, and so, so we got smart. We said, tell them mom said, tell them dad said, and the proxy would go and tell the kids, right? And you know what? We expected that the child who got the message delivered by the proxy would obey us the way we intended. Can I get a glory away from parents if you did that? Amen? Okay. All right. This, like I said, didn't really work well. This is because they felt like it wasn't mom or dad bossing them around. It was, it was brother or sister. And, it, and even if we said mom said or dad said. I mean, I remember, I don't remember, it's happening now. So, so as I say, I remember. I, I think cell phones in some ways are just horrible inventions. <clears throat> because now my kids can call me as I'm leaving the driveway. <laughs> right? And this happens. We'll be pulling out and the phone will start ringing. I'll be like, don't answer that. Because I know it's one of the kids. And it 99% of the time is. Because none of our friends have an uncanny knack of knowing when we're pulling out of the driveway. But our kids, when we tell them something, do. And they'll say, one will be on the phone. Can I da-da-da-da-da? You know, whatever it is. Can I do this? Can I do that? And we say, this is how it's going to play out. Tell the other one. We said, as they're hanging up, we can hear the fight. Can I get a glory wave if that ever happens to you? Amen. Okay. We're hanging up. We can hear the fight. Which typically means that another phone call is made. This time, we're initiating. Right? Or, or like my wife just said, the other one calls back. And they have a whole slew of reasons. Right? This is because the kids don't see it. As obeying us. 
This is because the kids don't see it as mom or dad. It's through the proxy. I, I, can, I can interpret this differently. I can buck against this. This isn't mom or dad I'm disobeying. This is a lot like our interaction as Christians with the Bible and with elders and teachers and pastors. The Bible's the first principle. Elders, teachers, pastors is the second principle. So let's explore that and see. God's guidance to His children through the Bible, through this thing right here, through the written Word of God, is similar to how Sarah and I guided our children by principles. Right? The Bible is full, the written Word of God is full of principles for godly living and effective service. However, it is easier for us to disobey this general revelation of God's will than it is for us to disobey when He directly speaks to us. So, when we read the Scriptures in our devotional time or whatever, and we see a a Scripture there, it's easy for us to explain that away as not applying to me. It's a little bit harder when God personally convicts me, and, and, and I have that personal conviction... But when I'm kind of at home reading this guidance, reading those things, I can kind of start to explain that thing away and really feel like it's not God that I'm brushing off. This is because sometimes the principles that we see in Scripture, they seem cold and impersonal. Right? They don't seem like vibrant and alive. And some people go, well, the Scripture says it's vibrant and alive. Yeah, but there are plenty of principles that seem cold and impersonal. And I'm getting ready to talk what about one right now that I would guess, I would venture a guess, 80% of this congregation and 80% of any congregation flat out refuses to give credence because of, how, because of how I hear it all the time. You ready? It's not what you think it is. Psalm 119.11 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's the principle? Shout it out. Scripture memorization. Let's do that again. Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's the principle? Scripture memorization. I can't tell you how many people tell me, especially adults, I'm old, I'm this, I'm that. I can't memorize Scripture. I can't do it. It's too hard. Hello? It's there in the scriptures that that's what we should do. Jesus modeled it for us. How did Jesus defeat temptation when Satan came and tempted him in the wilderness? He quoted scripture back to him. How did the temptation from Satan come? Quoted scripture. Satan quoted scripture out of context. Jesus corrected the context because he had scripture memorized. All little Jewish boys would memorize entire books of the Old Testament as part of being in school. Whole books. Somehow or another... We have relegated scripture memorization to children and sometimes teens. In Sunday school and quizzing and all of this stuff. And, and one of the things that really, I love quizzing. 
One of the things that agitates me about quizzing a little bit, though, is the kids will only memorize the key verses. Hello, they're all key, right? But that's beside the point. Scripture memorization is this easy-to-disobey, cold, impersonal thing. But you know something? If we would obey this principle, it would bring us to a better place of obedience in our walk elsewhere. There's a scripture that says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's in 1 Corinthians 10.13. Listen. Who is to say that the way of escape, the way to endure it, wasn't the verse that Ron asked you to memorize three months ago in men's training ground. But you never took the time to memorize it, so next week when the temptation lands in front of you, you don't know what God's Word says about it. And so you fall right into it. And you're like, God, He didn't He didn't give me the way to escape. I found out after the fact. No, Ron tried to get you to memorize it. Chris, he tried to get you to memorize it. We tried to get you familiar with God's voice and His principles. I mean, that's built right off of Psalm 119.11. I have... Let me, let me add some emphasis here. I'm going to be like the, the Amplified Jerry version. I have before I faced the sin temptation hidden your word in my heart so that way when it comes along, the Scriptures come alive in my mind and I don't fall headfirst into sin. I know that's pretty confusing, so let me give it to you in a different amplified version. I took the time to get familiar with your statutes, Lord, and memorized them, committed them to my heart, so that when I was faced with the day-to-day difficulties of living as a Christian in a lost and dying world, when the temptation came along, I didn't leap headlong into sin, but I resisted and had victory, and I looked different than the rest of the world. principle we ignore it's cold and impersonal god doesn't understand i'm old god doesn't understand i'm dumb god doesn't understand i i've got this god doesn't understand i've got that yeah god understands he does he understands that it's easy to disobey him because you don't see this as being him You see it as a list of propositions, a list of rules, ones that you can interpret any way you want to. But we saw in the passage of Scripture that the Word of God is living and active. And friends, this paper's not getting up and walking out of here. That tells me Jesus is in this. We we hung on the word and so hard two weeks ago because He's living and active and attaching it to the idea before no one is hidden from Him. You're naked before Him and you've got to give an account. And I know some people are like, man, preacher, enough with the butt whooping already. Look, the Scriptures are half butt whooping, half encouragement. Next week you get encouragement. Look forward. This week you get butt whooping. Okay? And it's just, it's just what the Scriptures say. And I, I'm just preaching through the book. I'm not picking this. Right? I didn't, I didn't go say, well, what do I want to say to the church this week? Let me go find some scriptures. I just picked up where I left off. Amen? Amen. That's the good thing about preaching uh, expositorily through a book. 
when you get there and you get one of these hard messages, I didn't pick on anybody. I just preached what it said. Trust me. My wife will tell you, I didn't really want to preach this this week. As we grow and mature in the Lord, we begin to understand more clearly that when we ignore the written Word of God, when we ignore the written in here, what the written Word of God commands, we are ignoring the living God Himself. We're ignoring Jesus. When we mature, as we mature, you don't see this as Jesus, you're not growing. I know that's harsh. But if you don't see this, when you disobey this, if you don't, if you're not an ever increasing understanding building in your life that this is the very words of God, that this is God Himself speaking to you, and you disobey it, you're not growing. Dare I say, in a conservative evangelical church, and understand my definition of the word conservative, has nothing to do with worship, has nothing to do with speaking in tongues, has nothing to do with any of that stuff has to do with Bible believing. In a conservative church that believes this is the Bible, friends, we are running as fast as we can towards liberalism when we explain why this doesn't apply. We're running as fast as we can towards being those liberal churches. Now listen, I don't want to be legalistic. And if, and if I see you start getting legalistic, I will be the first one screaming, put the brakes on. But obeying God... It's not legalism. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. What are his commandments? Every page, friends, from Genesis to maps. You know, you got maps at the back of your Bible, right? (laughs) So, every page. It all applies. It all applies. And when you disregard his principles, it's just like you going and saying, it's not a peanut butter sandwich. It's peanut butter toast. It's completely different. No, it's not. No, it's not. When you explain why you can tweak it, you're making peanut butter toast, friends. And if you're growing and maturing in the Lord... You'll start to understand this. But this doesn't stop at the written word. God also uses proxies. His other kids. To guide us sometimes. Yet we often struggle applying what they say. Let me give you the example. Elders, pastors, and teachers are proxies that God often uses to pass His commands on to His children. But in our postmodern world, we often find that it is easy to ignore these leaders and ignore what they have to say because it is simply their opinion of what our Heavenly Dad said. Can you get me a big glass of water? We ignore preachers and teachers and elders. And you guys know, listen, hear me. I don't want you just to do it just because I said. I want you to go check with the word. Right? If if what I'm saying is right, the rest of Scripture is going to bear it out. So I'm not saying blindly follow some preacher. But I'm saying we've got to quit coming up with it. Well, that's just your interpretation. Friends, 
That's relativism. That's truth relative to you. Well, that's your truth, but that's not my truth, preacher. We don't say it like that because we know that that worldview is off. But when we say, well, that's just the way you understand it, that's what we're doing. Well, Dad didn't say that to me. Abba didn't say that to me. Heavenly Dad, our Dad in Heaven, that's what Abba means. Dad didn't say it to me. That's just the way you think it means. It's just like our kids. I didn't hear it from Mom's mouth. You're not telling me the truth. You didn't, I didn't hear it from Dad's mouth. That's why you hear the fight when you're getting off the phone. Right? And then you make the call back or they make the call back. The other one. Oh, it doesn't really line up. There's no way. I want you to understand that. I want you to grab a hold of that. Again, I'm not asking you to blindly obey. I'm not asking you just to follow everything any preacher ever says. Because there are preachers that are wrong sometimes. I guarantee you, I'm going to be wrong sometime. I am going to preach something incorrect sometime. I promise it's going to happen. I'm not planning on it. I just know it's going to happen because I'm not God. I'm not perfect. I should be able to get a glory away for that. Amen. Okay. So I'm going to preach something wrong. But what I want you to do is when you hear preachers and teachers preaching, I want you to meditate on that, to let it sink into your life, to let it sink in and and hear what's being said and wrestle with what's being said. And don't just disregard it as being wrong because, well, that's truth to you, but it's not truth to me. You follow what I'm saying? Let me tell you a story. My wife, when I was sharing this story with her, This, she was like, I I can't believe you remember that. This is not, this story that I'm sharing is not in regards to anything that's going on in OCCA or any conversations I'm having with anybody, okay? I don't want you to think that it is. This is just my story from 1996. I wasn't even saved at that point, but I didn't realize it, okay? There was a pastor, his name was Mark Browning. Mark was bivocational pastor by choice. He started a church. And we, the first church that Sarah and I ever got a part of a start of was actually charismatic, and we didn't know it because we didn't even know what charismatic was. But Mark was bivocational by choice, which is probably good because I probably would have had, had an attitude if Mark would have been taking money from the church because, you know, that's, that's not right. So, Mark, we're, we're part of this church, and, and, and we're... Being shown this and we're, we're, we're starting to learn and this is where Sarah starts saying the sinner's prayer every night at this church because she misunderstood and so for years she's saying the sinner's prayer, thinks she has to do it every night or else she's going to go to hell and all this is going on at this church. But Mark had, a, had an assistant pastor, his name was Chuck Trujillo and Chuck Trujillo was a retired E6, medically retired from the army. He was there, he wanted to be, they had him there, they wanted him to be able to devote all of his time to the church, and this is back in 1996, and so to be able to do that, Mark wanted to start paying Chuck $600 a month, because that would have been enough with his medical retirement, the $600 a month would have been enough to allow Chuck to spend his time full time. So Mark is teaching on this and talking about how this was supposed to come out of the tithes. 
And I don't think that there's supposed to be any money going to the preacher. And I certainly don't think God wants my tithe. And so I explained it away. But that was just Mark's interpretation. I totally disregarded everything in Scripture about tithing. Tithing predates the law. Tithing was going on before the law ever existed. And Jesus says in the Gospels, you're careful to tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you neglect the weightier matters of the law. You should have done the former. He's affirming that tithing is right without neglecting to do the latter. In Hebrews chapter 7, it says that the one of whom it is testified he lives receives our tithes in heaven. But I explained this all away. And again, this conversation about tithing I'm having right now is not because of any conversation I'm having with anybody in the church. This is just my example of the thing that pops into my mind the quickest of where I explained away what a leader was telling me because I said, he's just wrong. I wasn't even open to wrestling with it. Now, maybe I am wrong about tithing at this point. Maybe we shouldn't tithe. But are you open to wrestle with it? Let's take it away from tithing. Maybe I'm wrong that every person's supposed to be using their gift in ministry, including the children in our church. Maybe I'm wrong about that. And maybe we're only supposed to let the highly committed serve. But are you willing to wrestle with that? Maybe Ron is wrong and Ravi Zacharias is wrong about what they taught about apologetics this morning in men's training ground. Maybe they're off. But are you willing to wrestle with that? Francis Chan in women's training ground? Is that right? Somebody who went to women's training ground. What would you do this morning? Huh? David Platt. Maybe David Platt. And who was leading for the women? And Marsha. Maybe they're wrong. But are you willing to wrestle with it? Or have you just decided that it's a principle that you don't agree with and so certainly that's just their interpretation? God uses His proxies, friends. He uses His proxies. We make mistakes. But are you willing to wrestle and go and look in the Scriptures? Go look inside the written guidance and see if it lines up. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Matthew 28, 19-20, maybe the command is to go. And the command is not to make disciples. Maybe I'm wrong. But are you willing to dig into the Greek and see if it's right? Or are you just ready to dismiss me out of hand? Because it's what you don't agree with. Maybe I'm wrong and we shouldn't go to man camp in a couple of weeks. But are you willing to take that before the Lord and pray about it? And ask the Lord what he'd have you to do? God uses his proxies. If God doesn't use proxies, then there's no point to having preachers and teachers. But we know the scriptures, because I'm familiar with what they say, said summer, apostles, some evangelists, some preachers, some teachers, you know what I'm saying? 
He says, let the elders who rule well and, and labor and teaching receive double honor. That's all stuff that's in there. I'm familiar with what it says. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And, and there are times when I am wrong. And when I'm wrong and you point out to me, when you come back and say, Pastor, I looked at these scriptures. Man, you're off. And you're right. I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to say, hey, I was wrong. Years ago at Crossroads Fellowship, I got up and, man, I boldly proclaimed. I was bold. The angels did not sin. It wasn't the same as the sin that we have. Their rebellion against God wasn't the same because they didn't have a choice. They were created as automations to follow God. And nowhere in the Scriptures does it actually use the same word for sin that we see. Their rebellion was not viewed the same way. Two people within one week came up to me and said, Pastor says, right here. In the New Testament, same Greek word, sin. I got up the next Sunday and said, I was wrong. My point that I was trying to make overrode sound Bible study. My point was that there's no redemption for the angels. So therefore, I said they didn't sin in the same way we did. Their rebellion was looked at differently. No, scriptures very clearly use the same word. And I repented of that. But those people were allowing that to, re- they were wrestling with that in their heart. I got up here and said that, I can't even remember who was the wrong, the wrong person's Bible. I said Ben Franklin's Bible, it was Thomas Jefferson's Bible that he cut all the miracles out of. And I said Ben Franklin. Several people came up and said, Pastor, that ain't right. Wrong Bible. It was Jefferson's Bible. It was the Jeffersonian Bible. I got up and said the next week, hey, I was wrong. But people were wrestling with it. So where am I going with all this? I want to just explain one more time real quick before I turn, turn the next slide. I want you to grab a hold of something. Make sure you get a hold of this. I'm not asking you to blindly obey me. That's a cult. I'm not asking you to blindly obey. I'm not David Koresh. I'm not Jim Jones. I have no desire to be. Okay? I don't, I'm not trying to start a cult. That's why I give you homework. So you can go look and see, does the word say this? Is, is pastor, is his message biblical? So if you accuse me of a non-biblical message, make sure you've wrestled through scripture and accuse me of that, not just because you don't like it. Okay, that's what homework is for. So I'm not asking you to blindly obey. So what does all this mean? What does all this mean? I know that what I'm getting ready to say may be a very difficult thing for you to accept. But when you disobey God's word, you are committing a type of blasphemy. When you disobey God's word... You are committing a type of blasphemy. But please, don't take my word for it. According to the HarperCollins Bible Dictionary, blasphemy is a term derived from a Greek word meaning to injure the reputation of another. In the Bible, this means showing contempt or lack of reverence for God or something sacred. When you don't have reverence for the Word of God, not in the sense of you're like, oh, it's the Word, but in the sense of, 
I don't like that. I don't have to obey it. When you don't have reverence for it, when you won't wrestle with it, it's blasphemy. Now, some of you are worried going, wow, I committed the unforgivable sin. No, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin, is what it says, which is attributing God's works to Satan. And the person who commits that isn't worried they committed it. That's why it's unforgivable, because they won't repent. They're so hard-hearted, they won't repent. They're so hard against God, they will not repent. It has to do with their heart, not whether or not that sin's worse than anything. So you have to, but you've got to understand. So I'm not talking about an unforgivable sin here. I'm saying when you ignore what the written word says and you explain it away, when you won't even wrestle with what elders and teachers and pastors and Sunday school teachers and training ground teachers and life group leaders and all of those things, when Christian authors and different ones who are writing that you're going to study, when you just out of hand and dismiss the things that you don't agree with, you're committing blasphemy. Because you don't have enough awe and reverence for God and for His Holy Word to even stop and wrestle with it. Do you know how people grow in the Lord? They're teachable. When I'm in a non-teachable position, I don't grow at all. When I decide I know it all, I stop growing and I start dying. I have to stay teachable. I have to be continuously Growing. I said during the announcements that there are five principles of a disciple that will identify whether or not somebody's a disciple. Number one, a disciple. Every single time in the Bible, every time, 100% of the time, a real disciple submits to a teacher who teaches him or her how to be like Jesus. Every time. Every time, disciples are learning Jesus' words. They're learning the Scriptures. Every time, every single time, they're learning the way that Jesus did ministry. Every single time, they are imitating His life and character to the best of their spirit-empowered ability. And every time, they go and make disciples. Take the Samaritan woman at the well. She comes. Jesus is like, hey, give me a drink of water. She says, hey, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. If you knew, you wouldn't ask. Jesus is like, dude, I know. Girl, I know know exactly who you are. I know everything going on in your life. Let me show you how I know. Because she starts questioning about who, who the Messiah is and where they're supposed to worship. She says, he says, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. She, he goes, yeah, that's right. Because the guy you live with right now, he's not your husband. He's your live-in boyfriend. You've had five husbands. Look, she goes and gets some people. Says, come meet this man who taught me everything I ever did. No, he didn't. He said one thing, man. He called her out on her sin. Right? can't remember why I started to share that. Sometimes I have brain cramps. It's okay. I'm going to move on. She wrestled with this concept. 
She wrestled with what Jesus was saying. She was convinced that the Samaritans were right, that, that, they, that the Messiah was going to come through Samaria, which, by the way, is part of the split kingdom of Israel. Okay? But this thing pierced in her heart. She wrestled with what was going on, and it brought about transformation. He didn't condemn her. There was a woman who was caught in adultery. He didn't condemn her. But he did tell her, go and sin no more. She had to give an account. We have to have reverence for the word of God. We have to, we have to listen to the things that preachers and teachers say. We have to wrestle with the things that the scriptures say. And we have to say, God, what are you trying to say to me through this? What are you trying to say to me in this? What I'm saying is this. When we ignore what, when we ignore what the written word of God commands, we are ignoring the living word of God, Jesus. Blaspheming the very one who gave his life for us. When you explain why the Bible doesn't apply to you, you're blaspheming. Let me go away from stuff like tithing. When you say certain spiritual gifts aren't for today, even though the scripture says they are, you're blaspheming. You're saying, God, that was for them, but it's not for me. They needed that then, but we don't need it now. They needed you back then, God, but we're smart enough, technologically advanced enough, we don't need that stuff. Can I give you my technical term? I mean, think about it. When we say we don't need miracle healings anymore, we're saying, hey, God, got this. Our doctors are good enough. Hey, let me ask you a question. Anybody ever have somebody they love die of something too young? Raise your hand if you did. Guess we still need them, don't we? Wait a minute. Let me just ask you another one. You ever had somebody that you knew that was lost and going to hell that you wanted to see come into the kingdom? Anybody ever see that? Guess we need somebody with the gift of evangelism, right? I mean, all of these things apply to us. Listen to me. And there's not one of them that's more important than the other ones. Okay? Healing is not more important than evangelism. Evangelism is not more important than helps. Helps is not more important than service. Service is not more important than administration. Administration is not more important than leadership. Come on. Give me a break. We need it all. I need everything Jesus has. If I didn't, then why have anything that he has? When we pick and choose what we want to obey, we are blaspheming God. Wrestle with that. Because I know, here's the reality. I don't think there's anybody in this room that wants to blaspheme God. That's why you're here. Because you want to love Him. You want to obey Him. And what you're falling into, you're falling into by accident. But the scriptures tell me, and I told you this when I first came here, Ezekiel chapter 33 is what God used to call me into the ministry. 
I've got to warn you. I have to warn you. When I see you going away that you don't want to go, that you're not supposed to go, I've got to warn you. Likewise, you need to warn me. We need to wrestle with this. Next week, we're going to get a little encouragement. Because let me tell you something, friends. It's not easy to obey. It's not easy to obey. If it was easy, we wouldn't need him either. But the scriptures for next week talk about, but since we have such a great high priest who can sympathize in our weaknesses with us, and friends, it might scare you, and you may want to skip next week, but that's talk about getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Preacher's going off the deep end. No, I'm not going off the deep end. I need God's Spirit to empower me. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that I can do this, what he's talking about, just because I got saved. That's why the next verses say, we have one who can sympathize with us in our weakness. Friends, I don't want you to believe me that you're blaspheming. That's why I gave you some scriptures to look at called homework. Monday we have Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 4 through 9. Tuesday, Psalm 81. Wednesday, Titus 3, 1 through 11. Thursday, Revelation 3, 1 through 6. Friday, Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. And Saturday, Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6. Now, this is not the first set of homework we've had in the last couple of months on obeying Jesus, obeying God, obeying leaders. But most of these are different than the ones we read before. So at this point, you're getting, I think, four more new ones that talk about Christians are supposed to obey. I know, I know you're like, some of you are thinking, well, some of that's the Old Testament. Yeah. That's the Bible Jesus used. It's the Bible Paul used. When it tells us in the book of Acts that, they were, that Paul was preaching Jesus convincingly from the Scriptures, friends, he was talking about the OT. The O stands for Old, the T stands for Testament. He was talking about the Old Testament. So we read this. We wrestle with this. What would this look like in our church if you let this sink into you this week? You'd come back next week saying, man, something's got to change. Even the most mature of us, and I don't mean oldest chronological age, the most spiritually mature of us would come back saying, man, something's got to change. And so when we start preaching about we have one who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses, next Sunday we're praying for people to be filled with God's Spirit after the service. And, and Mark, you'll be thinking about that for what you're going to do at the end. You may want to do it without the band. Maybe we want to do some canned music because there may be too many people. Some of your band might not want to be on the stage. And we're going to pray for people to get filled with God's Spirit. Because friends... I've, done, I've preached this once or twice here already. Nobody came forward. And that's okay. I'm going to keep preaching this because I know this is a long haul thing. 
You're going to hear this over the next 20 years. Okay? Until everybody's filled. Right? This thing should be full. This up here should be full. People should be receiving the baptism of God's Spirit so that we can live this out. People who've already been filled with God's Spirit should be getting a fresh infilling. They should be waking up every morning saying, God, here I am again today, a, 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 a stinking needy beggar who cannot live this life that you called me to live. I know you've called me to live it. I know you've called me to be holy, but I can't do it. So right here by my bed, fill me for today. There's not too many hills I'm willing to die on for Christianity. There's not, I'm not willing to die for every theological issue that's out there. I'm not willing to die. I believe that immersion baptism is correct, but I'm not willing to die on that hill if somebody sprinkles. I'm not willing to die on that hill. I'm not willing to separate with you and say we can't be together, we can't fellowship because you baptize different than I am, than I do. I'm not willing to die on that hill. Friends, I'm willing to die on this hill. We need God. We need his empowerment. We need to be filled with his spirit. And, and, and I want you to understand something. I'm not talking about la di da everybody needs to be speaking in tongues next Sunday. That is an evidence, not the evidence. Because you can speak in tongues and live like hell, and I'm going to tell you right there, you didn't get filled with nothing. I'm talking about being filled and empowered to live a life. I'm talking about the real evidence of being filled with God's Spirit is the fruit of God's Spirit. Singular, not plural. Peace, joy, patience, gentleness, self-control. That is a singular fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is, out of Galatians chapter 5. Not the fruits are, the fruit is. Let me say that again. Not the fruits are, the fruit is. Look at it in your translation before you come back next week. Great. Uh, Galatians 5, look it up in the Greek. It's a singular verb, is, not are. It's like saying an apple is red, crunchy, with a stem, sweet, with seeds. Multiple descriptors of God's Spirit working in our life. I'll say it this way and I'll close with this. Woman who's like a mother to me. They're doing a community service in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. They're praying with people to be filled with the Spirit of God. A woman comes forward. Terry goes up to the lady. And she, goes, she, she says, and they're operating in a word of knowledge. Like they're asking the Lord, Lord, what do, you want me to, what do you want me to tell them? What do you want me to pray for them? How do you listen to God speak? And, um, and the lady's just standing there. And Terry leans out, puts her hand on the lady and says, God, I pray that you would fill this woman with your spirit. The woman did this. Flings Terry's hand down and says, I'll have you to know I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. And Terry said, you're filled with something. But it ain't the Holy Ghost. I'm not talking about people coming forward thinking they got it all figured out. I'm talking about people coming forward and saying, I'm needy, I'm broken, I'm busted. I've been touched by you before, but I need to be touched by you again right here, right now. And I'm not talking about this becoming a Sunday ritual. I'm talking about this becoming an everyday thing. So let's pray. Father, we are desperate for you. 
Lord, I just think about the uh, song that we sang a couple of weeks ago. This is the air I breathe. You are my daily bread. All of those, all of those ways that we sing that. Your holy presence living in me. Lord, I think about that. And I'm telling you right now, God, bring us this week to this conviction that we are desperate, broken, busted, needy beggars who need a touch from the living God. God, I pray right now that you will show up next week. You'll even show up this week in a big way. And Lord, if you don't, I, I don't, I don't want to serve. I don't want to serve you if you're not going to be a part of it. Lord, I tell you, just like Moses said, when you told Moses you weren't going to go with him into the, into the promised land, you said, go on, but I'm not going with you. Lord, I stand just in the words that Moses said and, and say, no, if you won't go, I'm not going. Lord, I want to stay where you're at. So Lord, if you won't go before us, then we don't want to go. So bring conviction. Bring transformation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.